episode 31. I'm Ken Rakowski over in Los Angeles, California, and Santa Monica, California is my trusty co-host, Mr. William Quigley, Big Billy, I like to refer to him as, and we are back almost six months later. My gosh, our last show was December 2nd. Has much changed since then, William? Yeah, by the way, were you able to find your power cord? I, I know that was cord. the issue. I okay, thank that, God. That was the problem. Now you can do now you can do podcasts again. You know, honestly what happened, and most people don't realize this, but I went through a a business partner separation. And in that process, literally everything you do almost has to put on be put on hold. And that's what I did. And unfortunately, our show was a bit crippled during that time. We still discussed things, but we couldn't record. But now everything's been resolved, and we're back, and it's great. Now, has much changed in the last six months? What's your thought, William? Absolutely. And I remember, I think you were going to do a show in January, and you had a prediction that by May 2019, BTC would be at 8,000. If only you could have broadcast that. I wish I could too, but of course everyone would have laughed at us going, ha, ha, ha. You know, you're, you're colluding with John McAfee. You know, they would have said crazy uh, stuff like that. Hey, by the way, let's- I am uh, joking. I am joking. Let, let's go to this. I wish you had said that. I wish you had said that. Let, let's just talk about this. John McAfee, who we've had on the show before in the past, he has really turned out to be almost like this- indicator of craziness when it comes to what's going on in crypto don't you think he pops up everywhere. yeah yeah and it's so strange that you would use john mcafee and craziness in the same sentence well you know john as well as i know john i, I actually don't think he's crazy i really don't i think he's actually very methodical and he plans things out but he has become this go-to person on he's almost like the james carville for a crypto, you know, where James is this crazy political predictor. That's where McAfee, even though McAfee would hate us saying that, but that's what he is. Probably. He's, he's out there, isn't he? But is, does he have any form of accuracy, do you think? I, you know, I haven't, I haven't actually compared his precise, uh, you know, predictions, but, uh, you know, John, of course, began his technology career doing um, security, right? focusing on uh, what became, a, I guess, the first big antivirus software platform. Right. So he would naturally be drawn to uh, some of the features of, of blockchain. So uh, I look forward to him sharing more of his thoughts. Yeah, we like to talk to him, too. He sold the company to Intel. He did quite well. And, of course, there's crazy stories out there. We have spent a lot of time. I like John personally. I think he's a great guy. But over the yeah, last yeah. six months, what do you think has really matured more? blockchain or crypto where are all the big stories coming from well sort of depends the lens you look at but i must say i've been waiting and waiting for blockchain technology to start getting uh addressed by bigger companies and um they were clearly looking at this stuff closely and uh, last year doing a lot of work and now just in the last couple of months you know in 2019 we have had so many big companies come out and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, very interested in blockchain. I mean, all over the world, right? You've got uh, JD.com and, and Alibaba. For those who don't know those two companies, they're giant Internet companies in China. China, of course, has 
been at the forefront of crypto. Uh, lots of the biggest mining, Bitcoin mining operations are based there. Um, JD.com is sort of like the Amazon of China. Uh, they announced that they had filed for 200 blockchain patents, <clears throat> not to be outdone Alibaba, which is sort of like uh, it's a meta company. It's got uh, it's got Alipay. It's got a giant chat operation, you know, messaging operation. Uh, Alibaba is huge. Uh, it's filed even more blockchain patents. Well, why, I say. why are they coming from that part of the world, do you think? Well, one, because uh, Asia is extremely interested in blockchain technology and uh, uh, things like uh, supply chain management, uh, which uh, we've never probably talked that deeply about on our, on our show. But but uh, any anything in the supply chain area could probably benefit from um, utilizing aspects of blockchain and China is a major exporter. Supply chain management's important to them. So that's one reason. The other is that um, as, a, as, a, uh, as a payment technology, you know, in the US here, everyone's focused on the US dollar. It's the world's reserve currency. But uh, it's, uh, if you're in China, you know, you've got the RMB, but uh, you, you interact with lots of other currencies. So you see a lot of the issues with uh, the currency conversion costs when you trade with a, a, a different partner in another part of the world. So, uh, of course, if you could use something like a, a crypto, uh, you would avoid converting your currency into the uh, company, into the, the country's currency where you're, you're exporting to. So I just think there's maybe a few more use cases. Uh, I've made, made this point before on our show, but that, um, uh, a lot of uh, there's been a lot said about blockchain and crypto for payments, and I would just say I don't believe um, Bitcoin, for instance, is a great payment mechanism. At least not yet. It, there's lots of other areas where it can help payments and help banking, but most people, at least in the Western world, they have access to very good payment systems. And so they don't necessarily need blockchain. In other parts of the world, it could be useful. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, to but see, if you go, I was surprised to see the big carrier AT and T saying, "Oh, we accept Bitcoin now." I don't know why they needed to. I, I agree with you. I think uh, accepting Bitcoin as a payment mechanism is probably more about positioning your company as one that's open-minded about new technologies. It's. Um, uh, I don't want to go in too deep about the pros and cons of, of accepting uh, cryptocurrencies. It, it, there's great benefits uh, to accepting cryptocurrencies as a payment. So I, I started a, a cryptocurrency payment company called GoCoin. Uh, it, it, it really has great advantages, mostly in cross-border payments. And um, in particular, for a reason um, related to Consumers being able to do what we call chargebacks, where they can buy something from a merchant and then change their mind and tell the credit card company to reverse the charge. Uh, it's a real insidious part of being a, uh, an e-commerce site. Uh, and by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll do this public service announcement. One of the top reasons I have seen for startup e-commerce companies failing uh, after a few months, even when they have a good site and good product, is they didn't get their chargeback process under control. 
By the way, if more than 1% of your customers charge back their purchase in a three-month period, a company like PayPal, if you're using them to accept payments from customers, will ban you. They'll drop you. That's also true of most credit card companies. Is this so, why, by the way, we don't see PayPal being used with like AT&T? It's one reason. The other would be that um, AT&T has, you know, recurring billing uh, and also uh, there's cheaper alternatives for, for AT&T and other, and other telecom providers. So there's a bunch of reasons. Mm -hmm. Payments in general, I will just say you could spend your lifetime and several lifetimes um, looking at and evaluating. It also has a very, um, very big regulatory morass you've got to you got to deal with but um but but anyway payments uh directly using a cryptocurrency instead of a US dollar for most of us in Europe and the US it's not it's not great but if you're a merchant and you're worried about people charging back uh their purchases it's outstanding uh don't forget um JP Morgan well don't, and, don't, don't. let's and, talk about that we'll talk about that that's an important thing it, to go into or some of these big companies that are going into the crypto realm. Will yep. quickly, Ken Rakowski, we're here to give you some insight of what's going on with blockchain and crypto. We will be here as often as possible now, so that commitment is back. We'll talk about what's next after ICOs. We'll look at those big companies like William mentioned regarding who's going after crypto. Bitcoin, is it the proper indicator to know what's going on when it comes to the crypto industry? Video gaming industry is getting excited about what's going on with blockchain, the real world applications around crypto, and how are big companies manipulating banking regulations to avoid big legal hurdles? That and a lot more. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski, and you're listening to Coin DMZ. DMZ episode 31, William Quigley in Los Angeles. I'm in LA too. We're here to help you maneuver through what's going on in the crypto space and the blockchain space. William's been doing this since the 1800s, so he knows a little about what's going on. Right? 1800s? Uh -huh. <laughs> Close are, enough. You are, I think, a year older than me. That's about it. But You're 35? I am not 30. I'm 53. You went to my party. It was a good party, wasn't it? It was great. It was. I was totally bamboozled by all my friends. They literally lied to me. Every You guys are all great liars because everyone says nothing's going on. Sorry, we can't hang out. Next thing you know, there's William and his big cavalcade of friends all there. Thank you, William. Uh, yeah, it was a great surprise party. It was. But I get one every year, so I should expect them, shouldn't I? <laughs> Not much of a surprise. Hey, now, William, I'm wondering, I've seen one or two movies lately that had something regarding blockchain or crypto in the title, actually. But I'm kind of surprised because it's become such this, this huge global phenomenon. I'm not seeing a lot on the entertainment front when it comes to anything regarding crypto. Do you think Hollywood hasn't figured it out yet? No, I think they've figured it out. I mean, it's one little uh, device they can, they can you know, incorporate into their movies, into their plot themes. Um, it was, uh, uh, I saw it in that show, Billions. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. I was just right? going to mention that where, moved everything into crypto. 
Right. He moved it into Bitcoin, I think, or Ethereum in order to um, make sure that the feds couldn't track him. Um, it, by the way, that is a, a, a funny sort of thing to many of us because um, the thing about blockchain technology is every transaction is recorded and it is immutable, meaning you can never hide it or erase it. So in fact, if you were trying to launder money or hide a transaction, I think blockchain or cryptocurrencies is not a good choice, but you know, it, it plays well on TV. It does because no one really gets it hundred percent. That's why that's it. But I do like Axe. He is one of my favorite characters on TV, period. Hands down. I love that show. Have you watched the new season? I have not yet. Okay. Get into the new season. So, William, last year, the end of 2018, it seemed like the whole ICO wave was kind of fading away. Everyone, yep. you know, the beginning of last year, everyone's going, oh, I'm going to do an ICO. I got a big coin raise. I'm going to do that. And then at the end of the year, shh, let's not talk about ICOs. Has something in the last six months replaced the idea of an ICO? Replaced, not entirely, but there are alternatives. And there's a couple. And for those on the show who... Uh, I don't remember the ICO craze, which happened uh, mid-2017. Initial coin offerings, where uh, a company could sell a token to people and use the proceeds from that, usually the proceeds was in the form of Ethereum or Bitcoin, to build a product and, um, and give it to all those people who participated in the ICO when it was done. Uh, I, in a way, it was kind of like a, a giant uh, Kickstarter program, right? Um, and uh, like a lot of things, because you could raise a lot of funding and you could raise it fast, uh, part of that was because there's so much to build. Uh, think about the internet in, in, in 95 to, to 2000. I mean, hey, let's start a travel site. Let's start a, an e-commerce site. Let's start an internet advertising site, right? I mean, everything was new and unbuilt. Um, it was kind of like that in 2017. But um, there were also, just like in the, uh, in the technology space in the late 90s, uh, there was some times where people got a little too enthusiastic and a little too believing in projects that really weren't right or weren't ready to be developed. And so uh, uh, people who were participating in those uh, ICOs uh, got a little more cautious. <clears throat> Plus you had... Um, regulators getting worried that this was an end around to the traditional IPO process where there's a lot of regulations. So um, it cooled off. And then you had, of course, throughout 2018, a decline in uh, cryptocurrency prices. We went from a market capitalization of 800 billion to 100 billion, right? So everything went down and it just, it cooled off a lot of enthusiasm for for uh, uh, for raising money through um, through token sales. In uh, in 2018, a couple of new things popped up. One is the uh, security token offering. Now, this is instead of selling a token that's more like a piece of software um, and doesn't really have a lot of regulatory requirements. People were selling tokens as though they were stock. And we call those security token offerings. Uh, those are still in their infancy. Uh, I would say there was probably more, 
more expectation for STOs to really become a popular fundraising method, probably in early 2018. But the biggest problem is how do you trade them? Because traditional crypto exchanges, um, they can't trade securities. Most can't anyway. And so it's not so fun if you have a token, but you can't trade it. So that kind of waned. And now we've gone to another new method uh, called uh, IEOs, which is an initial exchange offering. And these are uh, similar to ICOs. They have a few differences. Uh, one is instead of um, a management team in a company uh, going on what I would probably call a roadshow where they they go around across the world, different conferences, and say, we're raising um, uh, money for this token sale like you do in an ICO. Instead, all of that money raising or token raising process is done by an exchange, a crypto exchange. And they, they contact their customers, they market the token offering, and they raise all of the capital, whether it's in the form of Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it is they're raising. Maybe some of them do it even with uh, currency. And the benefit, of course, is uh, the, uh, the management team doesn't have to travel around and try to one-off hit up different people who might be interested. And uh, they also get it done very fast. So uh, whereas a typical ICO might take uh, six months, um, an IEO can be done in 45 days. The, the, the other big difference, though, is at least right now, whereas ICOs, some raise 10 million, 100 million, uh, a billion. In the case of, um, of EOS, uh, the parent company of EOS token, uh, Block One raised over 4 billion US dollars worth of crypto in their ICO. Um, IEOs are much, much smaller. I think of them like a, a series A uh, round in the venture capital world, uh, 3 million to maybe 10 million. What, what's the secondary uh, market for these? Very you, good. They are good. So they've very again, good. We've gone through now a phase to where ICOs are very isolated to where in IEO has a larger secondary market. Uh, no, I wouldn't say an IEO is a larger secondary market, but uh, I think there are still ICOs. But I would just say um, it is a it's a convenient and it's a um, it's a more more rapid way for blockchain companies to raise capital, and as a result of that, I think it will. These things are going to stick around. Uh, uh, you know, the biggest one. Uh, uh, the one that kind of really set the stage for this was something called Tor, T-O-R. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you know what Tor is, right, Ken? Of course. Matter of fact, you know, I was on the board of two giant BitTorrent companies back in the uh, in 2000. Remember Scour? And do you remember Morpheus? I do. Morpheus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I was both of those. But yeah, of course. But now Tor is just a, uh, it's an actual browser. It's the Onion Network. The Onion Router is what it's used. But yeah. Right. And so Tor, call it what you want, a, a big uh, distributed network where you can do lots of stuff, really pretty much in a decentralized way. So um, a, um, 
uh, a company in the blockchain space bought Tor. I think they paid about $140 million for it. Who did they buy uh, that from? Wasn't Tor an open source platform? Uh, yeah, the, no, it, it, it was, but there was a company that had some control over it. I forget the name of that company, but that company uh, got acquired by another blockchain company called Tron. Tron then did a IEO for the Tor token. And uh, it has been uh, pretty darn successful. Uh, I think uh, the um, the trading volume is over $100 million that's, that's worth amazing. every day. And uh, it's... Um, I'll tell you, they made money on it. The market capitalization, depending on how you measure it, is maybe 800 million U.S. dollars equivalent. The uh, uh, the token supply, the trading token supply, probably is 250 million. So it was a very good deal for them. But it also ushered in this kind of IEO as a really interesting way for blockchain companies to raise capital. Do they, use, and so, do they use Ethereum as the way for acquisition of this? The same principle you do for ICOs? You mean to acquire, yes, to acquire. Uh, the investment? Yes. It depends on the exchange. You know, you can do, uh, if, if you want to participate in an IEO as a consumer, you could do it depending on the exchange. I would guess there's probably 20 exchanges in in the world, and someone might correct me, but, but that's kind of what I've seen. Um, that are offering uh, IEO services. And, and uh, like, like th it works this way in the IPO, the initial public offering market in, in, uh, uh, in technology, where initially when the IPO window opens, when investors say, we'd like to see some of these new technologies go public, there's very high quality. The projects that uh, wind up going public tend to be these marquee names. And then over the IPO cycle, might last six months, it might last 18 months, usually not more than that, kind of lower quality projects start to try to tap that access to capital as well. Uh, uh, so with the IEO right now, you see pretty good projects. And, and the returns have been good. I've looked at a, at a number of them. The post-market uh, valuations after the IEOs, um, in many cases, are up 100% to 300%. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, the IPO market, where if you got a hot IPO, uh, it may go out and you buy it because you're lucky enough, your broker gave you access to a few shares, and it pops, right? Now, of course, recently, whole different topic. Uh, I think the um, investment bankers who help companies go public, they've been pricing the IPO shares too high, which means in the secondary market, when they begin trading, uh, the shares actually trade below the IPO price. Cough, cough, Uber. And that, that is, uh, that's not a great way to attract people to participate in IPOs. But anyway, IEOs, um, if managed correctly, I think could be a nice way for companies to uh, to raise capital quickly. And I'll tell you, as a as a, uh, a venture capitalist, the the ability for a company 
that has not accomplished everything it needs to accomplish yet, it's still, quote, startup mode, to in 45 days or 60 days to raise $3 million to $10 million, uh, that, it, that is very difficult to do if you, if you want to go the traditional venture capital route, go up to, to San Francisco Bay Area and try to knock on the doors of venture capitalists. I mean, they're going to take two months just to return your first email. That's amazing. What an, uh, so we'll dive more into this as time goes on because, as William said, this is fairly new, but it does seem to be a lot better than the ICOs or the STOs of the past. So we'll pay attention to this. Hey, we're going to touch upon a bunch of other things fairly quickly. Uh, I know that we said AT&T has decided to start accepting crypto. I think specifically Bitcoin as a payment me mechanism. Chase and JP Morgan's doing the same thing. More validation of legitimacy in the open industries now? Yes, is yes. That, is that what it is? I think so. I mean, just again, I'll say this is uh, one man's opinion. Um, uh, using cryptos for payments uh, in certain situations, as I, as I talked about earlier, it's good. Cross-border payments, really good. But for a big company like AT&T that has access to credit card providers and ACH providers, and it has all of the, uh, the payment methods it needs. It is, um, it's unlikely to me that uh, paying your, your, your cell phone bill with uh, Bitcoin is going to be very popular. Right. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. No, Especially, I don't think it makes sense either. But just watch what happens here. It shows more legitimacy like we've brought up before. Um, is Bitcoin the right indicator for everything that's happening? Do you watch Bitcoin as an indicator for all crypto? <clears throat> I do. I absolutely do. Uh, for a bunch of reasons. First, uh, it is the first uh, decentralized blockchain-based currency, right? It's what started it all. Um, Bitcoin is, uh, it's a brand, right? It's, it really, many people will even say Bitcoin when what they mean is cryptocurrency, right? Uh, it, it sort of is an umbrella term, but it's also one that's the most secure and uh, maybe in a future, uh, future episode, Ken, I think it'd be very helpful to talk to our audience about why Bitcoin is the most secure cryptocurrency. Uh, maybe Ethereum would be the second most secure cryptocurrency. We can talk about why. It gets a little technical, but it's worth for anybody who's buying these things or investing in, in cryptocurrencies, you should know that. But so Bitcoin has a lot of great things going for it. One of the things that's kind of funny about Bitcoin, though, is it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a single purpose sort of coin. It, it, uh, it's what we call a store of value. It's great for that. Not so great for paying small transactions. Right now, I haven't looked in a week, but a week ago, it cost $4 to, uh, in, in Bitcoin to actually process a Bitcoin transaction. Well, if you're buying, I don't know, a bagel uh, for three bucks, uh, paying $4 just for the right to um, pay with Bitcoin wouldn't make a lot of sense. So uh, for small transactions, it's not great. Uh, but, but another reason is uh, why Bitcoin is sort of the coin you should look at to get a feel for what's happening in the space. What is the sentiment among people who are beginning to buy and, uh, 
and uh, invest in, in cryptocurrencies in general. It's sort of like the gateway. Most, um, most people, most exchanges, and there's very few of these, most places you can go to buy a cryptocurrency, if there's any cryptocurrency they offer you, it's Bitcoin. And very, very few um, uh, exchanges will allow you to pay with, with fiat, with, with money, with like a credit card. And when they do, it's generally Bitcoin and maybe Litecoin, maybe Ethereum. And uh, that has a lot to do with, with banking regulations, by the way. But as a result, for most people, they start with the big one, which is Bitcoin. And after they play around with it a bit, they start to say, ah, let me look at this other one, EOS, or this other one, Ethereum, you know? Uh, and they start to spend some of their Bitcoin to buy these other tokens. So as a result of that, you kind of can say, if people are starting to buy a lot of Bitcoin downstream, you might start to see lots of people buying these, what we call altcoins. Altcoins, kind of term's a little dated now, but it used to mean anything other than Bitcoin. Um, and uh, what's happened to Bitcoin in the last, I don't know, four months? Uh, it's gone up. <laughs> it, it hit a low of about 3,000 US dollar equivalent in, uh, I don't know what that was, maybe February or so, uh, maybe even earlier, end of the year, uh, 2018. And now we're hovering around $8,000. You know, actually, uh, William, if you notice, it started going down when we stopped doing the show. Well, I thought there was a correlation there. There was a correlation. Yep. So, William, if I mention a name like BTS, probably no one over 30 would know who that is. Under 30, they, they'll know. It's one of the most popular boy bands in the world based out of Seoul, Korea. Now, if I say Ninja, I'm guessing the same thing. Most people under 30 would know who Ninja is, but over 30, probably not. Don't you agree? I totally agree. Yeah, so totally agree. Ninja is who? <laughs> well, Ninja is, uh, I, I would say he's, the, he's known as the most popular, quote, best uh, player for Fortnite, right? Right, but uh, uh, you know, Tifu probably is uh, is at least his equal at these points. By the way, as we're talking, Tifu is having all kinds of controversy. For those who don't know, uh, uh, the video game esports streaming culture. Yeah, but what's mm -hmm. the irony is again the streamers are now the new VH1 MTV celebrities of today. Yes. They are, right? Yeah. And, and what's happening is we're starting to see these streamers starting to dictate how they want to get compensated or paid. And it looks like crypto is part of their direction, isn't it? I think you're going to see um, streamers. So we're talking about people who are broadcasting on, on, um, on Twitch, which is the giant uh, streaming platform for mostly video gaming play, uh, where guys like, um, Tifu and others are, are very, very big. Um, yeah, they, they're not going to be quote, you know, accepting payments or tips in crypto though. They, you know, that may be a sideshow. What they are going to be doing is they're going to be using blockchain technology to engage with their customer base, with their fan base. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's months away, not years away. Um, the, 
Uh, in fact, many of their fans probably won't even know that what they're doing, what that's cool, is actually backed by a blockchain. But yeah, there's a, uh, blockchains are very good for trading, for sending things back and forth. It's a great platform for that. And um, streamers love to share. It's a very communal thing. You share stuff with your fan base. You send them skins, video game skins, which are just like little uh, um, articles of apparel or other features that you can add to a character in your game. Uh, my company sells a lot of skins. Uh, Opskin sells a lot of skins to different people. Well, uh, uh, blockchain-based skins uh, are becoming very, very popular. Uh, blockchain-based gaming uh, is probably one of the top three trends in the blockchain space. When, um, when uh, WAX, the Worldwide Assets Exchange, when uh, we, my partners and I, uh, did a, uh, a token generation event, it's kind of like an ICO, for, for WAX in 2017, we talked a lot about skins and skin trading and how uh, blockchain provides a lot of benefits for that. And uh, uh, I remember a lot of blank faces in the audiences where I would be talking about this. Uh, a lot of people over 30 in the blockchain space didn't know anything about it. And now, I mean, there are blockchain-based video gaming conferences everywhere, one a week. There are uh, uh, new standards. So um, uh, when you have a Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin. We call those fungible tokens. Uh, they're, uh, one Ethereum is the same as another Ethereum and so on. You could have a non-fungible token, NFT, non-fungible token which means it's a token and it represents something that's unique. So imagine like a piece of art and that token has a little digital piece of art and that piece of art is different from every other piece of art, let's say in your game. Well, uh, blockchain technology is great for this kind of thing to, um, to digitize a unique piece of art or, or, any other unique item, what we call the non-fungible items. And in video gaming, uh, gamers love unique pieces of art, unique skins. They like to know that their avatar in their game that has a cool rifle has a pattern on that rifle, like graffiti pattern, uh, which we would call a skin, that no other rifle in that game has. And they trade these things back and forth because as you know, things that are scarce and desirable, think like diamonds, uh, tend to be coveted. Well, the same way with, with skins, and there's hundreds of millions of people who trade these. And blockchain has uh, really brought a great benefit to people who want to trade skins. And like I said, it's hundreds of millions of people who trade these things and generally in different countries. So try to send somebody, you know, like a bank wire in another country, right? You can do it, but it's expensive and slow. With blockchain, it's nearly instant. And of course, they can't, they can't um, um, uh, charge that back. Once somebody sends you a Bitcoin or an NFT token, it can never be reversed unless you want it to. So it's very safe. And of all the big trends that came out of 2017 that I think 
uh, Wax, uh, our company really was was initially pushing, which was video gaming. That has been a trend that's that's very evident now is going to be popular and big with with new standards. So uh, uh, EOS, uh, which is a um, a very popular token now, uh, the EOS blockchain is a is an improvement over, let's say, uh, Ethereum, f- the Ethereum blockchain for uh, for doing a lot of different things, and uh, the uh, the EOS community has built a new standard for these NFTs. I, I believe they're called D goods, and um, uh, Ethereum has what they call the uh, uh, ERC uh, eleven fifty five and seven fifty one. I know technical terms, but these are very these are standards that people can use to create these these tokens. And uh, it's it's probably the case where a lot of people playing these games aren't even aware that there's a blockchain underlying what they're doing, but they're being able to do stuff in a better way than they could do it before. So that will be a very big trend in 2019 and 2020. And as we get into uh, augmented reality and virtual reality-based objects, those are also going to be traded back and forth using blockchain. That makes sense. Hey, we mentioned Tor, the Tor browser earlier. What is the Brave browser? So the Brave browser, and, and this is, by the way, another theme. Let's just set this up as another theme in 2019. 2018, 2017, a lot of companies were raising capital through ICOs and token generation events to create, uh, to build stuff for the future. Uh, 2018, Lots of building going on, even as the crypto prices were plummeting. By the way, Ken, uh, not too dissimilar from what happened after the dot-com bubble crashed, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of money poured in in 1999 from venture capitalists. 2001 and two, stock market for tech stocks collapsed. But the building and the improving of the internet never slowed. Well, the same is true for blockchain technology. In 2018, lots of hard work was done. And now what we call real world applications is a, is a, is a theme in 2019. One of those is um, things like video gaming. The other is areas in advertising. So very popular right now, browsers that will block ads, right? Lots of people find the ads intrusive. They don't like being tracked. Privacy is a bigger deal now. So the Brave browser has some uh, nice features. One is ad blocking. The other is tracking protection. You know, you can decide if you want to be tracked by a company or not. Um, well, uh, that company that created the Brave browser also decided to create a token. And that token, um, basic attention token, is, uh, has become very popular. I want to say that token is a top 50 in terms of its market cap, maybe a top 40 token. And it trades a lot. And you can, you can earn these tokens. Uh, basically, can you and I remember this theme from, uh, from Internet 1.0? Remember, uh, a lot of companies thought of, hey, what if advertisers paid you to watch their ads We've been talking about or paid years. you to do some remember, action? Remember, exactly. Remember Beans? Yeah. Remember that? It was yeah. one of those tools where they, you got paid Beans to watch ads. Beans and flus. Yep. Very, yeah, I, those are good examples of early sort of like internet-based money uh, that had an incentive system built behind it. Well, uh, so the Brave browser 
has really taken off. I believe that there are more downloads like per month right now for the Brave browser than there are even for Firefox. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah, more than a million a month. So it has really taken off and a really good uh, integration is a browser and a payment method, right? I mean, how many things do we pay for online? Well, you got to go to your PayPal or you got to go to your credit card and there's transaction costs and it's not, it's not really, um, it's not seamless. Well, and of course it really doesn't work if you're doing cross-border payments. Uh, having a token that can be used to make payments, to, to, um, to uh, give somebody a payment for whatever it might be, watching an ad or performing, uh, performing some work that you wanted. You know, you've got some developers in the Ukraine, do this and I'm gonna send you something. Um, we've seen companies like uh, Alibaba and, um, and uh, even uh, Line in, in, um, in Japan and Korea, and, and look at Facebook with their WhatsApp application, those companies have seen, oh, when people are online, when they're messaging each other, when they're doing activities online, uh, having a highly integrated payment capability would be nice. And um, so some of those guys have their own captive payment systems. And uh, I can see many of them deciding to integrate payment technologies that are backed by blockchain, of course, you know, Facebook being one of them. Well, uh, Brave Browser is sort of one of these early real world practical applications for how you might use a crypto. And we're going to see a lot, lot more of that in 2019. It's a nice browser, by the way. It really is. Yeah. It, it's quick. I'm looking at it now. Very impressive. And I don't know about you. I'm getting somewhat tired of the bloatware Chrome does lately. Chrome just... God, if just look at your resources inside your application folder of all the things that Chrome runs. It's it's getting really bloaty. That's just the way I yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Any anything being, that's around a while that's run by something like Google, which constantly wants to find new ways to monetize and track you, right? Uh, funny enough, of course, uh, um, uh, Brave is also a Chromium-based browser. Oh, you know? is it? Oh. oh, yeah. It's using the same tech. You know. Uh, all Google did was take that open source tech, which they're very good at, and uh, uh, put the name Chrome on it. Oh, great. That's a real innovation. And uh, uh, monetize it. So uh, they're good at that. So, yeah, Brave Browser and others, I think, are going to become more popular as people get a little creeped out about companies tracking them and trying to manipulate them in ways that are insidious. You don't even realize it. Well, this is exciting. I like it. Hey, last thing before we get out of here, because we're not going to do any fun, let's make fun of William segments on today's show. We'll wait later to do those because, William, you just had to be vindicated. You came back. You rose from nowhere. We haven't talked to you in six months, and I don't want to make fun of you yet. I want to do that. Oh, good. Yeah, because I wouldn't come back. No, yeah. <laughs> no. actually, you're pretty good at that stuff. Um, what's the deal with this bank manipulation on regulatory issues where big companies are trying to manipulate it to get around the crypto issues? Well, I, I don't know if I would call it manipulation. I would just call it uh, the, the benefit of being very big and highly influential. So for... Um, uh, we've talked about this many times on our show, but I, I can't talk about it enough. Uh, there is a war uh, on banking. 
And uh, it, it started probably after um, the 9-11 uh, attacks in the United States, where uh, the uh, Congress passed something called the Patriot Act. And uh, maybe good intention, but the idea was, let's figure out how to track people and bad guys and terrorists. And oh, by the way, follow the money. And then you had a, a Dodd-Frank bill after the financial crisis, more uh, banking regulations. Well, these banking regulations have just stifled a lot of small businesses, many, many small businesses, particularly ones that accept a lot of cash. Cash is like an endangered species, crazy enough. Uh, many, many companies you and I know, Ken, in Santa Monica and, and, and in Los Angeles, they simply won't accept cash from customers, it's right? True. It's true. They just say, no, won't accept it. You know, everybody thinks, well, they probably don't want to have, you know, uh, the cash because it's easy for, for it to get stolen out of the till and, and all that. A bigger reason is just banks can't stand cash because it's hard to prove the origin of cash. And so many, many small companies, in particular, many small technology companies that use blockchain technology have, have a, 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 a bullseye on their forehead. They, uh, if you say I'm a blockchain based company or I'm a crypto company and you go to a bank, uh, 99 times out of 100, the bank will say, get out of here. So it's really hard to run a business without a bank, right? And uh, as a result, banking has been the number one impediment to blockchain technology companies actually doing something good. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Coinbase, right? right. Coinbase, the, 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 you know, the, it was the first uh, blockchain company in the US that would accept credit cards and bank deposits. Let me tell you, I had another company that was launched at the very same time. Um, uh, Coinbase was able to get a bank that was willing to take a chance on this stuff. The bank was willing to take a chance with one company in the entire United States. They picked Coinbase. That meant Coinbase had a monopoly on the ability to take in credit card deposits, ACH deposits, bank wires. No one else could do it for years. Well, uh, that's pretty unfair. Uh, it also means you can't get a lot of innovation. Well, big companies now, we mentioned them, Alibaba, uh, 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 JP Morgan, um, AT&T, Facebook. These companies, well, they, they, some of them are banks, <laughs> and uh, uh, some of them are giant, giant companies, hundreds of billions of dollars in market capitalization they are able to pull strings that small companies can't. So they are going to get banking. In fact, when you hear about Facebook's global coin, which is a stable coin they're going to use, uh, presumably embedded in their WhatsApp application for people to pay each other back and forth, great application of a crypto. But you know what? The average small company could never get that. Now, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that Facebook has vetted what it's going to do with its banks, and I'm assuming its banks have said, well, since you're Facebook and you're a really big customer, we'll do business with you. I don't like that playing favorites. I don't like the fact, and I think a lot of people in America wouldn't like the fact that giant corporations are going to be able to use this technology, blockchain technology, much easier than smaller companies. A lot of us would like to see these smaller companies flourish. Well, it's going to be very hard to do that unless Banking regulations change. And they have to. They have to. 
But it's- well, right now, right now, I would tell you they are changing for the worse. Uh, I could see a, I really could see a world in two or three years where uh, virtually no startup can do, uh, uh, can get banking, can accept credit card deposits, can can get bank wires. Uh, other than giant companies. And we wonder why the giant companies keep getting more powerful. Well, I'm looking forward to discovering more where these things are going. Hey, William, we're back again. Like I said, we're going to make sure we're recording on a regular basis. Here's my question for you. Are you ready for the 2.0 coin DMZ? Because that's what we're doing. We're rebooting everything. Are you ready? Ready, and it's a great time to be doing this because... There is so much activity going on. And as I've always mentioned, it's global. It's in China, it's in Japan, it's in Brazil, it's in Mexico, Canada, United States, Great Britain. I mean, it's everywhere. Blockchain is proliferating. So uh, if you missed out, if you were too young in the Web 1.0, very fun time, uh, late 90s when anything could be done, uh, blockchain is uh, kind of a version of that. And it's a global phenomenon, unlike internet, which for the first five or six years was all was all U.S. centric. It's um, it's a great time to be focusing on this. It is. If people want to find you, William. Where do they go? What's the website? Probably wax.io. Yeah, I can't wait to get my wax tokens. By the way, I've been waiting on those for a couple of years, so I'll get those. I right. I know. I keep sending them to your friend. He go. tells me he's sending them to you. William's always here. I'm always here. Hello at CoinDMZ is where you can hunt us down. We appreciate you sharing with us, sharing your time, your ideas. Episode 31. Thanks a lot for listening to CoinDMZ.